Hi, everybody, and welcome to No Country. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris Sacknesson. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I'm I'm just eating tigers and drinking wine, and no, I'm actually not drinking wine. Actually, I'm drinking water, but I'm I'm thinking about drinking wine and what that used to mean, and I'm just very happy and excited about everything at the moment. Um, and I'm not sure everyone is excited about uh, what's going on. I think a lot of people are really afraid, and uh, I, I'm. Uh, I, I just reject fear. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's my mode right now. It's an important mode to be in. I think that's perhaps the most important uh, binary that you can be on. There was a film that came out in 2001, I believe. It was called Donnie Darko. You remember this film? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's Dear a, me, I did. There's a, a sequence in there where the Donnie is in class, and his teacher, I believe, is played by... Um, Patrick Swayze and or Patrick Swayze is this guest speaker and you know it turns out at the end of the movie that he's uh some sort of sex pervert right but he's an inspirational speaker and he talks about how everything can be broken down into fear and love and he puts fear and love on the blackboard and of course Donnie being a rebellious teenager is like you know this is this is bullshit. You can't reduce it to these two you know binary uh, thing. And we, as the viewer of the of the movie, and myself when I saw this in high school, I thought, yeah, that's right. Everything's not that simple. But now, I'm I'm thinking actually it it might be that simple. Fear and love might actually be <laughs> within those two well, very simple concepts. There might be a whole world of of nuance, of course, but, you know, the sort of black and white, yin-yang type thing. Well, I, I, you know, no one says that, that, that fear and love, although those are, are you know, very simple one-syllable words, no one sensible actually says those, those are simple ideas. Um, and, and, and no binary is necessarily simple. I mean, and, but the whole deal with, with attacking binaries and breaking them down and, and getting to deal with them is, uh, is is sort of the cream corn wrestling idea. You, you, you've got to get a little bit messy and, and jump into the pit, you know? Uh, you can say, well, you know, fear or love, you know, is this or that. Well, those are like gigantic human emotions that have millions of years behind them. And they're not simple, you know? No one says they're really, no one credible says they're simple. And, and so you, you, you get down the cream corn and the dirt and the blood and the muck, and you wrestle with them and, and you try to make sense out of them. Um, but you don't deny the duality of, of everything. Um, because dualities exist for a reason that they're, you know, why, why did we come up with that concept? You know, black or white, night or day, you know, uh, dead or alive. You know, I, I think those are kind of some basic dualities that, um, to be fair to the geniuses of the past, um, who we all should be much more grateful to, um, you know, there were people out there doing 
real shit in the world, hunting, gathering, surviving, making culture, making our culture possible today. You know, we always thank Jeff Bezos for, you know, Amazon and, you know, He's got another $500 million yacht or something. Uh (laughs) But what about the people who really built the world from the ground up, you know? And and, uh, this is what I keep coming back to with my own thinking, my own teaching. Um, I'm thinking about this a lot with the textbook I'm about to deliver to Rutledge Press. Um, Just how humble we should feel in the face of the culture creators of the past, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, it, it just startles me that, that, that we, we ignore them. I mean, they invented everything, everything that we have. Yeah. And I think that when you, I think that when people pay too much attention to the up-to-date minute to minute, fear porn that is social media or news networks, I think that they are in a sense out of fear, um, ignoring the the vast uh, sublime nature of what it is that you're talking about. I think that we don't talk enough about how uh, frightening and vast just how how awesome life is can actually be. We think, oh, well, if we focus on these things, like the, you know, the beauty of of the world, uh, we're ignoring all the you know the chaos and the and the awful things that are going on. But you know, Kant, in particular, makes a very important distinction between beauty and sublimity, right? And sublime as uh, the the German. A Korean philosopher Byung Chul Han says, right, like you can look at a woman who's so beautiful that it hurts, right? And I think that thinking about a past that is so monumentally huge and deep and sublime, I think it's it's too scary for some people. They'd rather stay in the present, what I call uh the hell present, right? <laughs> Just the the constant sort of uh, dopamine rush transposed with feelings of, you know, complete despair. Because in a way, it's 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 easier to process. So, um, so yeah, that's what I that's what I came to mind when I was listening to you talk about that. You know what interests me is that, um, after all I've been through. You know, and and I didn't really think I'd be through to this point. I'm actually talking to a young Oklahoman who's had, uh, admittedly, drug problems Mm -hmm. in the past, who knows and can speak (laughs) with some real (laughs) actual integrity about a German philosopher who a lot of people don't know. And I... I just want to say I, I really appreciate that. You know, it, 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 I, I, I've really come along. There was a time when I thought I was going to die in a jail somewhere far away, 12,000 miles from my home. And I, I really didn't think I would ever make it back to, you know, my uh, frame of reference. Mm-hmm. But I certainly didn't think I would be talking to uh, someone 
younger from a state that I kind of dismissed growing up in California. I'm right. sure I, I, I know you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Um, who actually has anything to say. So I'm really, I'm just so grateful. And I, I wonder if, if this isn't a message to all of us that, and I keep remembering this, you know, the world is a constant sense of surprise. You know, if you just be open to the surprise rather than be afraid of it. So you, your earlier mention of fear and love, I think that's a really good binary because I think that's kind of where we work, all of us. Mm -hmm. We either love surprise. It's, it's great if it's a surprise birthday party or, you know, we win the lottery or we get a publication or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's all good. Mm -hmm. So we remember those good surprises. But when our, uh, you know, drunk, psychotic neighbors ambush us coming into our home, uh, that's not so good no. when, no. you know, you know, <laughs> something, you know, I mean, all these things can happen to us all the time. And I think that your, your fear and love dichotomy is exactly what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And, and also what the good thing is, right. is that how can we, um, I mean, look at your situation. You, you've got a young child now. Mm -hmm. You could go completely crazy worried oh, yeah. about that young boy. Oh, yeah. you, you could drive yourselves, you individually and also Rios as the mother, you could go completely insane yep. with worry. And everyone would understand that. I would understand that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm in charge of this young uh, black toddler my neighbors, um, I, I've had to look after him. It, it just, you know, it, with the parents there, but but I, I I'm out, out sort of like kind of being the uncle and the you know the friend. Yeah. And I panic about him, like, uh, oh my god, he's getting away. Well, yeah, he's fast. Right. He's only you know two years old, but yeah, he's fast. And, and <laughs> if you take your eye off him for one minute, he's gone. Oh yeah. And and so I'm thinking, oh my god, it, is this on me? You know what happens if he if he runs out of the park and runs into traffic? Right. You know, and the mom goes, well, she she's just so cool. Uh, she goes, well, play zone defense, not man-on-man. -man. And uh, That's a you know, good way of putting cover. it. That's a great way yeah, of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she, oh, she's just, I'm learning so much from these young people. And I, I mean, it's humbling. It really is. It's like this is the basic shit that we're all growing up with of how can you raise people who are successful and happy and, you know, good people in the world. Uh, well, it starts at the, the, this really tender age, and you're involved with it right now. Yeah. And, but you can't just panic about stuff. You no, know? no, yeah. You keeping, gotta have faith. Yeah, keeping a cool head is the most important thing that I've learned over the past month. And that cool head relates to worry, and it also relates to, you know, patience and anger. Because, I mean, babies cry, they scream, you know, 
I'll um yeah. there uh, a specific moment comes to mind where it was the middle of the night, probably one thirty in the morning, and I had to wake up because uh, he's crying, he's hungry. So I get his bottle, I get the milk out of the fridge, put it in the in the bottle, and the whole time I'm I'm holding him, right? And he's losing it, you know. He's <laughs> he's not keeping cool at all because, you know, baby. So I put the bottle into the bottle warmer and uh after it heats up, I unplug it and I go to grab it and he's so pissed that he uh sort of launches his feet against my thigh and you know, I had a good grip on him, so there wasn't a chance of him slipping out. But, you know, his head knocked back, right? He basically, I had him sort of at this angle where his head was forward, and he just, he kicked his head back. And, you know, he's okay, he's fine. Um, but when I saw that happen, I, I became very angry because, because I want to keep him safe, right? And, and so yeah. it's this... It's this mm, creature. Mm. It's this creature that is is you know, uh, and it's this creature that seems to be actively trying to make a mess of itself, right? Whether that's you know throwing itself out of my arms or you know trying to. He can't roll over yet, but you know, eventually he'll try to roll over, so he'll roll off of things. Um, and it's like. It's not rational. I understand that it's not rational, but you think to yourself, man, can you just work with me here? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing, bro? But, um, well, yeah, go ahead. Look, I hear that so. Look, I, I haven't, I, I hadn't thought of this before. And I, I hope our listeners know that, you know, uh, you and I just kind of, we don't have a plan. We just wrap and, and, and really make things up as we go along yep. because we think that our uh, asses are good enough to pull some things out of sure. at, at short notice. Sure. Um, but one of the things that really hit me just in the last few moments is that, um, in, in, you know, when I was really close to uh, my dogs, um, particularly a big glumpy mastiff, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, I would say to him, and I derive great pleasure out of saying, are you an oaf? Are you a thug? Are you a brute? Are you a monster? And he would, of course, wag his tail. And in and, and every insult, I would, you know, because he didn't hear them as insults, of course. Yeah. But somehow... Being able to say to him, you're a, a giant thug, um, made me feel better. And it made him feel better. And I wonder how we, you know, because we often, you know, and psychologists tell us that people often speak to dogs, uh, particularly um, the way they do to children. Um, so you, you get where I'm going with oh, this. Oh, I will, I will, in a sing-song voice, I will sing, uh, shut your mouth, please shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so you get where I'm going. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, I think that you and Rios need to celebrate that for, for young parents all around. Because, you know, one of the interesting things is that I think is so exciting 
is that everyone thinks that well there you know you know there are 7.8 billion people on the planet so we've been doing the the boy girl thing and 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 making babies for a long time mm-hmm. you know yeah. and yet and yet it's always new every child is new every relationship is new all of this stuff is new so you're actually on the front the forefront of a, of a whole new i see this very vividly in my neighborhood that there's a bunch of people um particularly uh people of color uh who are starting off new families yeah um right and it, there, there isn't a model as, you know, everyone goes, well, they're, they're, of course there's a model. You know, it's like, you know, like, well, how do they get there? You know, it's like, no, it's new for them. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's new. Why can't anything be just new for you? That was the one of the things that really changed my life. I was in uh, a really remote village in Vanuatu, and uh, I was the first white person that the young children had ever seen. Mm. And uh, that's a real privilege. That's oh, yeah. a real privilege. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you think, well, wait a minute. I mean, this is the, this, this, you know, this was the 20th century then. It's like, no. I was the first white person some people had ever seen. That's and wild. they were, yeah, yeah. And it was an honor and it was a, a, a problem and it was magical, cool. And um, in my better moment, I produced some hand friction uh, balsa wood helicopter toys and uh i thought well you know these kids are kids and i I know kids you know right um i don't care if they're not wearing any clothes or not or what color they are they're going to be surprised at this shit and um and then i had caps you know like smack bang boom caps Mm -hmm. uh and i had some magic so um I, i did do some things um, because I wanted to be the best white person <laughs> you, ever seen. <laughs> you know, yep. that's what my goal was. Yeah, I, you know, w- what if we had that idea? You know, you know, it, it, what if you were the first someone, the first, and we all are the first someone, you know, for someone, you know, we're the first mm-hmm. lover, we're the first mm-hmm. boyfriend or girlfriend, or you know. W- w- what if we really thought about that? Yeah, because you're actually the you know? you're the first you that anybody has met, no matter what the situation is. Well, I think that's a way of talking about the, this this idea of celebrity that we want to get to, because somehow some of these people have been the the first people uh, for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, don't you think? I mean, your uh, pantheon may be different than mine, but you still got a pantheon. Uh Uh, You know, you're really not changing that idea. So, so what do we think about that? Is that 
what does it mean to be maybe the first person? I, I think that I, I didn't intend that at all. I, 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 you know, I was just thinking um, off the top of my mm-hmm, ass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it, it was a really weird moment to be the first white person that some people had seen. Yeah. And I didn't really, you know, how could I plan that? Yeah. I, I, you know, it just was accidental by definition. Yeah, I think that that brings a few stories to mind. Um, the first one is actually about a band that I really enjoyed. And they were the first people who I really admired, who I saw have a live breakdown, right? A, a mental breakdown on, on a stage. <laughs> so I won't give the name of the band because several of our listeners I know are also fans and are actually friends with these people. Uh, and I, I don't want to embarrass them. But I was a big fan of a certain band when I was about 14 or 15 years old, I had found them on the file sharing website Napster, which is, I think, long gone by now. But it was the yeah. it was the prototype for illegal music downloading, which is how I got most of my music back in the dial-up days when it took, you know, something like 15 minutes to download a three-minute song. Um, <clears throat> so I had gotten really into them because one of their tracks had been mislabeled as a system of a down song and they were my favorite band and so i downloaded this one and i remember them yeah, yeah that so that was my favorite band this band had been mislabeled as this i feel band. young uh what's that i feel young yeah there you go uh so i became obsessed with this band i bought all of their albums uh you know putting the lie to the idea that uh music pirates are somehow stingy um as a matter of fact i've read a study somewhere that uh, pirates of all nature, whether it's books, music, or movies, actually, on average, spend more money on stuff. They just are buying it because they actually want to own it, rather than buying it out of some, you know, guessing game as to whether it'll be good or not. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So fast forward four or five years, and they're on tour, and I'm living in El Paso, and they're coming to my town. This will be, you know, probably the third time that I've seen them because I used to sneak out of the house and take my blue Nissan Quest minivan, my first car, down to Dallas to, <laughs> to, to watch their shows. Um, so I'm very, Can we call it a pussy wagon, David? We, we? we could if, if that ever happened in it, but I don't think it did. So, um, Oh, actually, it did. Yeah, I guess we could call it that then. Um, no, you're taking uh, me down all sorts of memory lanes now. Um, <laughs> but... I'm just saying, Yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, you know, sure. this is like two guys, you know? Sure, of course. Uh, so anyway, so fast forward, 18, they're in El Paso, and they are playing the stage at a dive bar Mexican restaurant, right? Um, you know, they've, they've kind of, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they've fallen, but they've always been a sort of independent band right and so whoever whoever booked their tour was just you know i guess not paying attention to where they were going to be playing so it was it was me and maybe uh oh i don't know maybe eight other people and we're watching them and they get through a few of their songs and the singer is just completely drunk he is just hammered right 
and he's <laughs> he's is just he's making comments about you know the only thing good about El Paso is the burritos and you know just you know being very antagonistic. He's clearly upset that they're there and that they have to play this this show. I don't know how much they're getting paid for it, but at a certain point, the microphone cap just pops off the microphone like a like a ice cream cone you know it just kind of plops off and so he he slams it down and walks out and the dj the sound guy who's in the back says um you know well whenever axel rose over there decides he wants to finish the set he can come out and finish it and he never did right and i remember when that happened because as soon as i had gotten there i had walked right up to their merch table i bought a hoodie a shirt and a cd because I was so excited. And when I saw that, it was the first indication that I had of, of this aesthetic separation, right? And it's something that I would become very familiar with on the other end of things when I became a writer. I'm sure you're familiar with this. When you meet somebody in public at a reading or a signing who is a huge fan of yours, and you can tell that they're a little anxious to meet you, and you have a hard time wrapping your head around it because you're just a guy who wakes up every morning and does normal guy stuff. And, you know, you're, you're not this, you know, whoever they have in their head. But I was seeing it from the other side at that point. And I was seeing a celebrity in my eyes, you know, uh, people who I didn't know. This was gloriously before the time of social media, you know, it was 2005. Um, I didn't know anything about any of the band members. I didn't know their political opinions. I, I didn't, I didn't know what their influences were. I didn't know a thing about them. I only knew their music. And here was this guy who was just, you know, having a breakdown and that, and then some, <laughs> something kind of shattered there. You know, not in a super dramatic way. I don't mean to to sort of overstate this point that it was, you know, traumatizing or anything like that. It was just, I was different after that show. Do you know what I mean by that? I I, I, I do get that. I do get that. Um, I mean, my experience is, you know, is different, of course, because of, of more years on the on, on the clock. Um and, and, and having taught, you know, people and, and, and appeared, you know, more often. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I was at a gig in, uh, before COVID broke out and we had to wear masks and, and our whole culture changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but with some, you know, some great Philly, you know, uh, soul people um, that I used to, I, I started off, you know, shining shoes for them. Um, and, and driving their, you know, driving their limo, almost before. Well, I um, had sex with my uh, high school girlfriend in the back of my car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was driving in a limo, you know, and I it was like, oh, okay. And um, I met them in, uh, in in San Diego, and you know, one of them said to me, "I, I know you." You know, and how many black people really remember, like, you know, white people from, you know, 20 million years ago? Right. You know, right. really. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of, it's like, I, 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 th- I sort of thought, well, wait a minute, I didn't drive over any, I didn't cause any problems. We weren't arrested. 
And he goes, no, 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 I, I, no, I just remember that you, that you really knew our music. And, uh, I, and uh, here's something, you know, private from, from our records, you know, to keep in, in your, and he gave me a fantastic private, you know, CD of stuff. This is Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, for God's sakes, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the major Philly bands. And Teddy Pendergrass, you know, who's mm-hmm. hit, in, you know, had was crippled and then died. So it, it's a real legacy of interesting music that, that just, you know, wouldn't have gone through. And, and one of them recognized me, you know, and just said, well... That was one of my first gigs. I was I was so wet behind the ear. I didn't. I just gotten my driver's license. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't. You know, I was so tender and young, and and hopeful, striving to to be accepted as you know someone who could make a living in the world, um, and. It was just magical to be remembered out of all that time, you know, right. and it just shows that I think that there's more to the world than we really reckon. There's more magic to the world than we reckon. Um, and I think there's more magic to what real celebrities are, what celebrities could be. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we continue to touch on this idea of, of what celebrities might be as opposed to what they depose to on uh, the sixth page of the New York Post or, you know, CNN, you know? Right. It's really... Right, yeah. It's almost a point where you want celebrities to be more like magicians because I think of the celebrities for myself when I was growing up, of course it was these musicians and also authors but it was people who I had no idea who they were, what they were like. I only knew this strange work that they had created. Thomas Pynchon obviously is the best at this because he makes no public appearances and everything that he does is just on the page. But back in this, you know, I wasn't reading magazines about these people, nothing. I remember picking up uh, James Elroy's cold 6,000 when I was 14 in the U.S. Army Post Library in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and reading the first line, which I won't repeat here because it has a word that will get this entire show canceled. But I remember reading that and um, thinking, oh my gosh, this is this is magic. I didn't know that, that words could, could do this, you know? So I had this pantheon of these guys you know, James Elroy is the demon dog. You know, Chuck Palahniuk is this guy who, you know, writes these nasty, gory short stories, and he just seems like this encyclopedia of urban legends. And, you know, what, what must it be like to have that much arcane knowledge? And I think that um, growing up, it, then it became, with musicians, it became, you know, I relate to these people. I'm, I'm exactly where they are... Um, you know, sort of socially and mentally. Um, but I think, I think that the sort of tabloid uh, obsession with celebrity is, is very, um, it's very base 
and uh, sort of degenerated because I think that it becomes a proxy for people's for people's uh, messed up lives, right? They become obsessed with who's cheating on who, who has a baby out of wedlock, all these very uh, mundane things, right? Because actors, by and large, are mundane people. They're just good at lying, right? So you can have these celebrities who've been in Marvel movies, Oscar-winning movies, whatever. It runs the gamut. But you become obsessed with their with their personal lives out of a sense of of narcissism narcissism uh, that has to do with your own and so there are these two kinds of celebrity where on the one hand you have a a dark wizard who holds occult knowledge and commands a bit of respect and then on the other you have a sort of action figure that you've denigrated to the point that it's playing out your own personal dramas so that you can you can live those out uh in ways that you can't in your own life. Okay. Um what what if we've reached a point in societal civilization terms where the mechanism of celebrity has exhausted itself as an idea. Hmm. Uh, I, I think we're seeing this all the time now. I mean, it, it, it's quite pathetically apparent. I look at Cher, who's now in, well, look, she's a very senior person and should be really in a home, you know, mm -hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, um, <laughs> we we see all well I, I'm sorry I, but I think there there is a point where people reach seniority <laughs> she did a you know? tweet recently not to get too much into gossip but she was talking about the George Floyd um verdict the Derek Chauvin oh, verdict dear. and she tweeted that she was I could have changed him she yeah. said I could have saved him or something like that and it's like oh see social media is not good it's not good well, they're just insane, sad people that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one story, which is very funny. Um, when I uh, knew an author mm -hmm. who has uh, great family credentials in Malibu, and um, I visited with her and stayed with her, and I had a back problem. And she said, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll get you teed up with my, uh, my back guy. And uh, so this is all good. And I was really grateful. I was, you know, staying on this amazing compound next to Kenny G and Bob Dylan and, you know, all these just immensely rich people right next to, right next to the compound Owned formerly by Johnny Carson, okay? Mm -hmm. So I mean, we're talking some, we're talking $250 million of property. Oof. So I, I, she organized this massage for me. And this is all great. And this guy was really cool. And he was like this sort of like, you know, kind of high surfer who was into, you know, working the, the women and, um, 
you know, he'd obviously found his niche. You know, yeah. I, 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 I thought, right on, man. You know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. bang those really big millionaire women. You know, and and then suddenly he was gone, and I was in this like office, which wasn't really all that really cool. He he should have upgraded the office mm-hmm. and the massage table a little bit, but I was I was left there. And I, I thought, well, what's going on? You know, and I, I, I wrapped the towel around myself and I thought, uh, okay. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll actually put on my clothes and go out and, 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 and ask what, what's happened. So I went out and his young secretary was leaving and and no, there was no, you know, no one was going to tell me anything about this because I was a freebie, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he had gotten a call from Cher mm. and he had to leave. He had to leave suddenly. I could have been in that damn office building in Malibu and it was a cheap plastic, you know, pine wood, nothing office. Malibu is not all that fancy for people who haven't been there. Most of it's just crap, you know. Mm-hmm. And I could have been sitting there for like twelve hours or twenty four <laughs> hours, right? You know, right? You know, and it's just like, oh, okay, right. Thank you, right? But share, share was called celebrity share, right? You know, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it um. It's it is interesting that human beings have this natural well, I say natural, but I wonder if it is, understanding of hierarchy. I've always had a problem with this. I've always had a real problem deferring to people who are supposed to be somehow, I guess, famous or higher up on the totem pole than I am. And that hasn't helped me in the literary world. <laughs> um because in the literary world in particular, you're really, especially when you're in New York, you're really supposed to understand the, all the moving parts of a social interaction. And you're supposed to understand whose ass you're supposed to kiss and, you know, who you're supposed to, you know, shower praise on. And I had an approach that was basically that I would walk up to people and say hi and that we would talk about stuff. And that went over like a lead balloon. It just did not care for that. But it's interesting how some people implicitly understand these things. Like he had to go to share, right? There wasn't, there wasn't going to be time to, I don't know, do you the courtesy of saying, I have to go. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no that's, that is exactly the way to put it. There was no courtesy of saying, look, I'm sorry, something has come up. Um, and and uh, could you please see my secretary or receptionist and we'll, we'll arrange another time. That's exactly right. He just left. He just bolted like a little rabbit on call. And I, I think this is the aspect of celebrity that, uh, that really, really worries me. And I, I have some interesting thoughts to, um, one thing I do want to really, you know, we, we've talked about um, the artist, you know, Jean-Michel Basquiat, you know, and I, I, I think his work, his visual artwork 
will survive the test of time. I, I really do think that although he's gotten an orgy of money poured at him right now, um, you know, it, it, it's worrisome. It is worrisome. And I'm in touch with this because I, I, I'm on top of, of Sotheby's and, and, and Christie's and all of the major art network um, people, you know, vending these products. Um, but I support his work, whereas, and I, I actually ask everyone listening to look at Jeff Kuhn's work mm. and, and tell me, tell me to my face that that is worth the money that it is being given and derived and I just don't see it at all. I, I see some great artists out there in the world today, and I see some scams that are just being run. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jeff Koons is, I think, one of the greatest. Well, he was a hedge fund operator, so I guess he's you know a con man by 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 trade, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I don't see celebrity as being finally denigrated down to the level of some of these people who did it mm -hmm. and are doing it, you know? I mean, for instance, I don't think that... I, I, Andy Warhol is a complex figure, uh, a very complex figure in American art and world art and world cultural history. I, I, I really say that I've come around to thinking he's pretty cool right. <laughs> and pretty smart, you know? Right. And, and, and it's certainly someone who's worth being part of the discussion, whereas I don't think Jeff Koons is in, in, in the art world. But it's not real. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that's my problem with that idea. So I think we've got a range of... Of, of ideas here about celebrity where people are doing some really interesting, weird things and also doing some total gimmick bullshit things. Yeah. 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 No question about well, that. With the Jeff Koons, uh, what's so interesting, that same philosopher that I was talking about devotes a passage in his book, Saving Beauty to Jeff Koons and completely excoriates the guy, right? He pinpoints oh i'd love to see. oh okay well he pin you he, gotta hit me with that i will the short version of it what he's what he pinpoints is the smoothness of the art uh the smoothness betrays a kind of lack of interiority um specifically because Ooh, yeah because it's so smooth right because everything he does is all these smooth edges it brings to mind the sense of touch and so the sense of touch is uh the sense that we have that uh, indicates the least amount of of distance between uh, sort of the 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 uh, signifier and signified, right? Like the when you touch something, you're not at a distance. Like when you look at something with your eyes or hear it or smell it or whatever, right? So the invocation of this sense of smoothness and touch um, breaks down this kind of mystification barrier that's necessary to uh, sort of genuinely get into a type of interiority with a piece of art, 
right? It's, it's a very interesting passage on Coons, and he goes on to extrapolate from that that most art these days is meant to be uh, liked, and he uses likes in a very sort of derisive way, right? It's, it's meant to be uh, smooth. It's meant to be something that has no separation between you know, the viewer and the object, and, and because of that, it's uh, soulless. So that's, that's like the Cliff's Notes version of it. But I had to put that in there because uh, it's a little bit of a synchronicity. No, I think that's really, really very strong. And I, I really think that's, that's good for our listeners. Um, here's something I want to throw out to you just as, you know, because you're my friend. Sure. Um, and I, I like to challenge, you know, particularly mm-hmm. someone really, really smart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a moment in my life um, that really embarrassed me and uh, really uh, slapped me in the face, you know? Okay. Uh, and, and, and I, I, I kind of want people to think about this. I uh, was dealing with my divorce and uh, was wandering around a regional town, Bendigo, in in central Victoria, which is actually at one point, one of the most wealthy towns because of gold rush money in the world, Mm -hmm. in the world. So it's filled with amazing Victorian architecture, right? You know, serious stuff that you don't see in Cleveland and Detroit and Indianapolis, you know? Mm -hmm. And I walked past this one building and there was a sign that said Chubby Checker was coming to play. I remember dancing with my sister in pajamas that had feet in them to Chubby Checker. Mm-hmm. You know, do the twist. I thought the guy was dead. I, I had no idea. You know, mm-hmm. it was amazing to me. that He was still out in the world. And so I arranged a, a gig with some of my friends to go laugh essentially at chubby check we were going to have an ironic because we're so smart you know Mm -hmm. and so you know clued in this was something that we could laugh at moment and it was in a classic victorian australian theater with beautiful angels built into the walls and a level of masonry that just is beyond anyone's skill anymore. You can't actually build that again. No one, no one knows how to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just like, okay, right. Those people in the 19th century, they did it right. And Chubby came on, you know, when I looked down in the front row, Two front rows. They were intellectually challenged people, hmm. proudly wearing American rock and, and this is in Australia, you know, of course, rock and roll shirts, mm-hmm. happily having a night out from their assisted living facilities. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And Chubby Checker got up and not only did 20 minutes, 
but two and a half hours of pure gospel rock and roll. And he brought the entire culture that he had ever been party to, to the party. Mm -hmm. And I just was humbled. I just thought, oh, well, I, I, I've got to stop thinking about things in, 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 in really, you know, in simple ways. Sure. Because this was, this was a major moment of entertainment. And, yeah, he's just chubby checker, you know, mm -hmm. just keeping it going, making a, making a paycheck. I understand that. But making a paycheck and delivering the goods around the world is what entertainment has always been, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just wonder, like, have you ever seen someone as an entertainer who you really thought, oh, my God, I, I, I've got to change my ways. You know, that's the beautiful end line of Rilke's famous, most famous yeah. poem. You must change your life. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, that that's really the bottom line, and I think that's the finest line uh, of all poetry. Um, have you ever seen someone do that to you? Just like, wow, that's a that is a good question. I've seen a few readings that were like that. I've seen people who were able to communicate their prose in such a way that it kind of blew my mind. Brian Allen Carr is one. Scott McClanahan's another. When it comes to um, performance... I like Brian Allen <laughs> I do, too. That's, I like him when he's come. That's, I liked him when he was really insane. I don't know if he's insane enough for me anymore. Yeah, he was... Yeah, that's when he and I became really good friends, and we still are to this day. Rain! 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 rain. rain. Yeah. You remember that? I do remember yeah. that, yeah. No, he's a he's a good guy. I mean, he got on the wagon and calmed down a bit, but, you know, he... Uh, he's still... Yeah, he's still every, probably... Every once in a while, he'll go back to Twitter and uh, put everyone in their place. All these, you know... Uh, writers with pretensions—it's ah, great. I liked him when he was just good. I liked him when he was nuts. You know, uh -huh. he was just—he was good nuts. You mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. and but um, as far as um, a musician goes, yeah, I mean, I've seen a. F there was one band that I saw called The Locust, and they have these songs that were like thirty seconds long. And they're called a, a, a grindcore band. So it's just this blast of noise. And I watch them at a venue called Trees in Dallas. And they get on stage and they're all wearing these uh, kind of gimp suits. And it's just a three piece. It's a, it's a guitar, a guitar, a bass, and a, uh, what else? It's a guitar, a bass, and, uh, and a drum. And it was the single loudest performance that I'd ever seen in my life. Like it was so loud, I felt like it that I was seriously damaging my hearing by being there. I was about eighteen. They were opening up for one of Mike Patton's uh, bands called Phantomas. Um, and uh, after I saw that, I thought to myself, "Wow, these guys really commit to the bit," you know. Um, 
and the the audacity of it, I think, sort of changed me. But I, I don't. I, I'd have to give that more thought. I'd have to give that more thought if I've been sort of in the way that you're describing uh, affected. Well, I, I, I want to leave people with um, a little bit of a read, um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't do this normally. You know that, and. Um, I, I don't want to impose this on people, but I, I just feel this is a really strong read from my new book, um, Gratitude and Longitude, about my leaving home um, at 17. And uh, I, I think it, it, it connects to, a I hope it connects to a lot of our experience of, of where celebrities matter in terms of milestones and the organization of our life memory. That's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about how we remember our lives because how we remember our lives is has an enormous amount to do with, with what we pass on to our children, for instance, and you're, you're going to be involved in this. I mean, you know, I mean, do you, are you passing on to your children your memory or their memory? And it's very complicated, isn't it? So it, 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 it's a very, very difficult thing. But I, I, I think this is um, one of the most, um, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I'm very proud of this piece. Um, I, I don't know what came about. Um, it's about James Dean, in, in a sense, and, and he died long before I was born. So I don't really have any um, connection, really, or, or explanation in a rational sense. But when I left home, uh, this is what I wrote. I left home in anger in the middle of one very, very foggy night when I was 17. Do you know what California foggy nights are like? Okay. I can't remember where my stepfather was. So my step, my mother was alone in the house after I pulled away. It would be 20 years before I gave a single thought to how she would have felt watching my car disappear at 10 or even 20 feet into the dense mist. Did I tell you about California fog? Do you know anything about California fog? My intention then, quite honestly, was to disappear forever, not just into California fog. No, LA was just going to be a temporary landing place with 21 cans of Chef Boy RD beefaroni, some books, clothes wrapped up in bed sheets, and $200. Two hundred dollars when you're seventeen is something. I was gonna get to somewhere really far away, you know, and I did. The Yucatan, Chad, Hazelhurst, Mississippi, Yemen. How many people have been to Yemen? But just getting into the car and out the driveway that night seemed like a very very long way. There was a time later when she and I didn't speak. For nearly seven years, 
So it's been a blessing to return to CODA and over the last few years to find that it's not really a CODA at all. It's something new. Time truly does change things and people. Miles was right. The melody changes over time. Think about that. The melody changes over time. It takes Miles Davis to say that. I've come to see you can't undo the hurts and the conflicts of the past, and you shouldn't even try. They seem to have a life of their own, and one day they're just not there. Or they look so different, you don't even recognize them. Almost everything I've ever written that matters to me is in some way about the problem of the past, the lost sense of the things I didn't say and wanted to say, the families that escaped from me, and the families that I tried to make. I'm still trying. I remember hating. Interstate in the warmer weather in London. I peeked in the rearview mirror and saw the bank of low ground fog behind me. This huge, almost sentient ghost wave that had reached a kind of boundary up ahead. It was pure starlight, not a car in sight. You know, James Dean crashed. In the place I went to. Do you have any idea? Who was he to me? The last words he said. See you in Paso Robles. Well. At 3 a.m. in the morning. I visited his death site, and I was going on to somewhere else. You know, in the sky was almost Galapagos Island blue over Central California, and I had never been to Galapagos Islands yet. But when I visited there. 